0: Welcome to the Pro Cheerleading Podcast. This is the only podcast that gives you a raw and unfiltered perspective of what it's really like to be a professional cheerleader. Whether you're currently on a pro team, an alumni, or really curious about what it takes to become a pro cheerleader, the Pro Cheerleading Podcast gives you all the inside scoop and hot topics in the pro cheerleading industry and in-depth interviews of current and former cheerleaders. I'm your host, Makiba. Join me every Wednesday as I reveal the truth behind the palms. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Pro Cheerleading Podcast. This is, gosh, you guys, this is like one of the last two episodes of the season. Uh, This one's called Glory Days, not the one by Bruce Springsteen, but a version by Aloe Black, I think I found, which I kind of like better. But today's Episode I interview Kurt A. David. He is an Emmy Award winning TV producer. Uh, He has a show called From Glory Days, and he was kind enough to invite me to be a guest, his first pro cheerleader on the show. And then he returned the favor by agreeing to be a guest on this show. So I got to interview him and hear about just what he's observed in interviewing a lot of professional athletes who have made the transition from playing professionally and becoming successful at other endeavors. And I thought it would be a great way to round out 2020 as you guys are starting to, you know, make your goals for 2021 and some of which may involve, you know, transitioning away from dancing, I thought it was really encouraging talk. I mean, he gives speeches to corporations, to different associations, and he shared a good few nuggets of wisdom about what he's observed and how people have made that transition successfully. So I'm excited to launch that episode. I don't have a lot of men on the show, but this is like two episodes with guys in a row and so I'm pretty excited about that. This is like the last episode of 2020. It's been a crazy year. I hope you guys had a wonderful Christmas. It was great in this household. A lot of just love and relaxation and gifts and watching some movies. Did anybody see, um oh, don't know, it was called Sylvie's Love. It was just like a romantic period piece. I really, really love that. I just kind of chilled, and I don't usually watch TV, so it was nice to you know, to unwind a little bit, but I want to end the year strong and, you know, check in with you guys and let you know some of the things that I've been observing. Okay, so I have been researching a little bit of what's been going on in the NBA now that the season is underway and teams have been playing and team by team has been like mentioning that their squads are back together, with their veterans. So I went poking around on YouTube for a couple of accounts that I follow to see if they were posting any of their performances, like what are they doing? And couple of really cool things. So the Wizards over the weekend, they have a almost like a virtual arena experience. Like you log in, it's sponsored through Capital One. It's the name of the arena out in DC. Um, But they basically put together their whole in-game entertainment piece with the hosts, the DJ, and you know, just kind of creating that vibe in the environment of what it's like at a game. So they kind of like doing that in a show format. It's kind of like the screen is blank during the gameplay. If you're like watching the game on your TV, um, I couldn't watch the game. I'm not in the D.C. area. But basically, you have the opportunity to like interact. And I think they had sponsored content that they were developing during that show. They did have a glimpse of the Wizards dancers. And I thought it was pretty creative. I mean, you know the fans can't be at the games but they were just trying to give you that same feel people were like talking to each other while they were watching the game maybe that's been done i don't know because i haven't been watching but i thought it was great that they incorporated their dancers they kind of did like solos and i saw a couple other teams doing something similar like in the actual arena the dancers were more or less kind of freestyling as opposed to a routine they weren't like on the court um, but i saw the pistons dancers doing something similar the clippers and so you know, they're in the arena. They're probably up in like the 200 level or something like that. So right on those landings, they would have their dancers. Like this was, I think, the Pistons that I watched. Where was the Bulls? Anyway, the point is, that's where they were dancing and kind of freestyling during the game with the music that the DJ's playing. So I think we're just going to be seeing some different ways of incorporating the dancers. Um, they're all wearing masks. But I thought it was cool. It's something, right? They're dancing. They're at the games. It has to feel good to just be in the building, right? I mean, we're seeing what it's like to not be. So um, I will be keeping my eyes peeled. And if it's shareable content, I'll put it out in the story. But I just thought it was interesting just at least to see people in action. I think I saw one performance of the Pistons dancers actually performing on the court. It didn't seem like it was during the game. Maybe it was like before the game. But just seeing them dance, it makes me happy. So I'll be keeping an eye out and keeping you guys posted on how they incorporate the dancers. I'm starting to accept it. I'm hard-headed, and I was really, really holding out hope that the NFL teams would start making Pro Bowl announcements, just for the honor's sake, Um, but it's like the end of the season, (laughs) so it's probably not going to happen, and I I don't know. I think it kind of sucks, frankly. I'm sure there had to maybe be some consensus around what they were going to be doing or not doing. Um, Last week, we talked about the Atlanta Falcons cheerleader that was recognized as cheerleader of the year for the Falcons cheerleaders. But I don't know. I think there could have been some attempt to kind of like provide some recognition and honors for these, the squads that have formed, the squads that have been performing. I'm sure it was done because it was like, we don't want to cheat the pro bowl cheerleaders of the experience. And, you know, it's this whole week long activity. You can't replicate that. Like you can't double up next year. I'm sure there are a lot of considerations about it, but I just wish at least each team picked some recognition for the squad members for the year so that we can kind of continue to celebrate the true leaders on these teams. I forgot to launch it as a poll of the week, but a couple of teams that actually have like a max of how many years you can be part of the team. And so for some of the girls or guys that came back to the team and had this be their technical last year, even though it's like not quite a year that you should... Like, are we putting an asterisk on 2020 or not? You know what I'm saying? Like they cheered and now unfortunately that will be their last year it's not like they'll get a do-over and get one more season and i just think that's kind of unfortunate but i i don't know i'm I'm a little bummed that they didn't find a way to recognize an equivalent of some sort of like award for each team so no pro bowl cheerleaders so far and i guess you can't have a pro bowl roster if you don't have charger girls i still don't know what happened i mean i kind of know what happened but not quite know what happened to the formation of that team. And again, there's just been teams that haven't been able to gather on any level. So what are you maybe making a selection based off of? But it's just an unfortunate way to end a lot of careers, you know, that are people who were in their last year of dancing. And unfortunately, 2020 is it. But with that said, you know, I've been doing a lot of talking with people with messaging and all that back and forth. But I just thought I would just try to offer a space. Like, I'm over Zoom meetings and I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm over our virtual happy hours. But, you know, one last time for 2020's sake, I just wanted to open the floor up because I understand that there are a lot of people that are hurting, that they're kind of coming to terms with how this year has ended, what happened to their, their dreams and their goals and the things that they wanted to accomplish. Um, some who are like struggling with depression and really just in a tough spot and it's hard to feel hopeful and optimistic and while I love to try to be a cheerleader for everybody I just thought maybe we could just have like one big not big but you know just one big gathering to basically recognize each other you know talk about what we've managed to achieve over the year I mean we could definitely discuss like the setbacks and how it really truly made you feel but just a way for us to like lift each other up right like to try to and on a more positive note, because I think we have, like in this pro cheer community especially, it's like such a variety of ages. And I think for people who are even in college or like 18, 19, 20 years old, you know, maybe even in their senior year of college and they didn't get to dance this whole year. And this is like the first time that dance has been like ripped from underneath them. I just think it's hit some people a lot harder than, than it's really truly acknowledged. And I can go on a tangent about college. I'll get to that later. But I just wanted to offer that up. Um, Please don't just have me there by myself. But I just hope that people will kind of join, you know, and and meet some new friends, hear different stories, and just kind of collectively know that you're not alone and that we are kind of going to get through this together. And hopefully 2021 will just bring a new beginning, new goals. And again, I encourage you guys to listen to this Glory Days episode because I think Kurt goes through a lot of just, rational ways of kind of working through adversity in that way where you're just kind of like having a game plan as to how to rebound from it and you know step by step he breaks it down and these are things that he gets paid probably lots of money to share with different organizations and he gave us his time for free and shared a lot of wisdom. so I hope you guys check out the episode and come join me tomorrow I mean it'll be what I say 5:30 30 p.m pacific time so that's 8:30 p.m eastern time i hope you join i'd be lovely to see you i mean i haven't hosted a virtual happy hour in a long long time but it was great to see who would join and people from all over the country and i did try to extend it to college students because let me just go there with the college students um you guys see them i think at pad where there are plenty of college teams dance teams cheerleading teams um that participate and look up to you guys in the pro cheer community. So I was just thinking that it'd be great to try to extend that level of support because the college dancers, I think experience their own issues when it comes to inequity and fairness. And I think something that I don't really talk about much on the podcast are those types of issues. I think they're very similar. And I'm thinking about kind of like broadening the scope of just some of the things that are covered as part of the podcast in upcoming seasons, because You know, when you think of, you know, how the RONA has touched the college athletics world, they have basically made the decision, and we can all guesstimate why, right, that college football can proceed with play. But depending on the conference, they've made the decision that the cheerleaders, mascots, band, all of those game day performers aren't allowed to be a part of it, not to mention all of the other sports that are under the collegiate umbrella. And I know it's because of budget, but the fact that they're going to rearrange everything to kind of make it possible for these college athletes to play. And there's so many issues with that in and of itself. Um But, you know, I think they just left these dancers, whatever, they just left them hanging, basically, without a plan, doesn't sound like a lot of support. And it's just very, very one sided. And I just think they have a voice too. And I know it's like different dynamics, but it's just something that I would like to open up to talking about, as part of this show, I'm hoping that, I mean, it'll grow the audience too, but we're all in this together, basically. It's all about equity and fairness and just proper treatment. So look forward to that because I'm probably going to be going off. There's so many news articles that I come across that I'm actually interested in, but I don't know why I just haven't brought them up. So that's changing. I'm going to be talking about it. What else am i excited about you guys okay so you've probably seen in the story it's on january 4th on pbs they're going to be airing um a woman's work it's a documentary by Wee Gu. i had her interviewed as part of the podcast a couple seasons ago and it's called this woman's work i encourage you to go back and listen to that interview as well because we talk about the film her observations and struggles and just obstacles of the women that she covers I think the subheading is, you know, the NFL's cheerleader problem or something like that. But basically, she's covering the lawsuits that the Oakland Raiders cheerleader and the Buffalo Bills cheerleaders filed against their teams. And kind of you get an inside view of what the legal process is like, you know, the way that the women were ostracized by their teammates and just kind of like all the ripple effects of it. And it was really, really well done. I think it is very, very thought provoking and raises a lot of questions about how we support one another in this community. Definitely a lot of information in the interview with Wee, where we talk about some of that, I probably went off a little bit, just on my own little tangent about just as controversial as these lawsuits might've been, they did result in a lot of changes that were made for the betterment of pro cheerleaders and dancers in terms of just wages, right? Um, and I know we love it so much that we do it for free, but we shouldn't have to. When we compare this to like what mascots are paid in the NBA, NFL, sixty thousand dollar salary to do basically what we do but even less because let's don't get me started on mascots i love them but i don't think they should be paid more than us so anyway there's just a lot of issues and the documentary is coming out on pbs so everybody can have a chance to view it i would love just to generate some conversations some thoughts that you guys all have in watching it but if you're curious to learn more about it definitely check out the interview with we It's called This Woman's Work. So some podcast research, if you want to listen to that episode going back a couple seasons. But like I said, there's two more episodes uh, to round out this season and it's going to end on a really, really high note, I think. And I also just wanted to thank you guys. You know, I haven't really paid as much attention to downloads, but I did kind of realize that we were creeping up on 30,000. And when we hit it, I was just like, nope, that's perfect time to celebrate and to pause to say thank you um, for all of your support for everybody who's like, you know, just said yes, you know, to sharing their time for free. I can't pay anybody. You know, this is not a podcast with ads that drive me crazy. So I try to spare you guys and not drive you crazy. But this is all a labor of love. And I just am so grateful for everybody that's made time to share their story, um, share their wisdom, encouragement. I mean, it's just been such a beautiful thing for me for the past two years. And to reach that kind of milestone for an independent podcast that has like, no sponsors and all it's just it's a big deal to me. So I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Definitely just thank you for the support. And I hope it continues forward in 2021. You know, once there is a break mid January, I think there'll be a lot of things kind of going on behind the scenes that I'm excited about. But As always, this is your platform, and I hope to hear from you guys of any topics that you want covered, any people that you want interviewed. You guys have just been there every step of the way. When I say go back and listen to episodes, it's like, don't go too far back, because Lord knows what Brittany and I sounded like back at the very beginning. But we've come a long way, and it's because of your support, and I just want to say thank you. But I hope you guys have a wonderful and safe New Year's Eve, obviously. I'm just being really, really careful. I'm really worried about California. It's just sounding so, so scary with ICU being at capacity. Just take care of yourselves, and let's just kiss 2020. Bye-bye, and really just keep hope alive. I sound like Jesse Jackson, but but seriously, we have to be hopeful. 2021 will be good, you guys. I feel like there's a lot of good that'll come. We'll just keep seeing what teams are doing. Maybe the NBA can just trailblaze a way of incorporating the dancers so that by the time NFL auditions come around, we have a pathway and with the vaccine and all these other things, obviously it's going to take some time, but I just think 2021 will be a year of more forward progress. And that's just what it's going to be. I'm just claiming it. It's going to be maybe a bit of a struggle, but it's going to get smoother. I will have a reason to come back for the next season because there will be stuff to talk about. So just hang in there for the next couple episodes. And uh, let me know if there's anything on your minds in the meantime. But thank you again. And with that, I'll turn it over to the interview with Kurt. But be safe, you guys. Happy New Year. Bye. This episode, you guys, we have a very, very distinguished and special guest. We have Kurt A. David. Do I need to include the A, Kurt? Or...
1: Well, I use it for official business, (laughs) Makiba, simply because uh, everybody always confuses my first and last name all the time. Uh, So you can say Kurt David. It's more for the written form because literally people always confuse my first and last name.
0: Got you. I'll call you Kurt.
1: Yeah, that's fine.
0: I feel like we're old friends now. Kurt, you guys, is an Emmy Award winning executive producer of From Glory Days. It's an awesome TV series. I had the honor and pleasure of being a guest on back in July. And Kurt was so kind to share his time with us so that he can be a guest of the Pro Cheerleading Podcast. So, Kurt, I welcome you to the show. I know you're not a cheerleader. I'm honored. I'm very honored. (laughs) I know you're not a cheerleader. You're actually my first former pro athlete. And I understand I was your first former pro cheerleader. Is that right?
1: That is correct. Yeah, we're crossing (laughs) paths here, crossing genre a little bit. But uh, I'm a cheerleader of your show, if that makes sense. And so I guess that uh, I'm not a pro, but I'm a cheerleader of your show.
0: Well, thank you. And I'm a big fan of your work as well. And I'm so excited to tell everybody more about your show and all of that. But we're just going to start with how you started your career as a pro athlete. You guys, he's 6'9", so I'm sure you can guess what sport he might play. But I'll let you take us through your pro career.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, first of all, at six foot nine inches tall, horse jockey didn't quite work out for me, right? It just wasn't uh, in the cards at that size. And for me it all starts with the foundation and my foundation started with eight of us in one house my parents and six kids wow. and uh, you know first of all there was there was only one bathroom in a house so you learn early on with you that it's not all about you right eight people with one bathroom it's a little different today but um i, I can tell you that all six of us run full ride athletic scholarship and two of us played professionally so imagine that household growing up wow it was extremely competitive Uh, brushing our teeth, anything was a competition, right? We were constantly outside playing wiffle ball, basketball, whatever we can get a hold of to have some competition. And so, you know, I I guess it paid off okay for my parents as far as the college education and then for a couple of us that played professionally. And so basketball was my sport, played college, played overseas. You know, as they say in pro sports, it's never long enough, right? 100% of professional athletes ultimately lose their job, whether it be by choice or most of the time it's not. And so, you know, my career as a pro athlete was very short. I I went in for knee surgery and found out it was time to get a real job. Basically, the surgeon said, Kurt, you know, you can keep playing basketball and not walk by the time you're 40, or you can give it up. And as a 25, 26-year-old young man, it's a pretty sobering reality, right? I mean, basically, I lost my career, lost my income, part of my identity. And so, there was a journey in that. There really was. It probably took me about five years just to relax and realize, oh boy, yeah, I really am out of this now. And you know, fortunately, I had my degree at that point. That was one of my goals was to finish my degree before I played professionally. So I'm glad I did. And I pursued my degree as an elementary teacher and, and basketball coach and then went and get, got my master's in counseling and became a middle school counselor and okay. had a great journey as a middle school counselor and, and basketball coach in my previous professional life. But way through that, Makiba, what happened was that I, I had an idea. It, it was one of those 3 a.m. ideas, like crystal clear, just literally, just like middle of the night, boom. And what it was, was I thought, boy, but would neat to sit down with other former professional athletes to hear about their life after pro sports. And more importantly, how they recreated their success. And that was the spawning of my book idea, you know, sitting down with 20 former uh, professional athletes that I interviewed for the book. And it was neat to hear their stories because everybody was different, right, about how they recreated their success and what their transition was like out of pro sports and the book became a regional bestseller and and at that point my agent and I at that time realized boy this is bigger than just the book so we created a tv show based on the book and that's where from glory days came from was interviewing former professional athletes about their life after pro sports and more importantly how they recreated their success afterwards kind of like you you know you had your pro sports career as a professional dancer and cheerleader and you know, had the glory of a couple Super Bowls and, and yet you had your transition and now you created your success again afterwards and every athlete has that. And so we were targeting athletes that simply had that transition, which i do, but the ones that found success again. And so mm-hmm. that's been the neat part about this TV show. We've done four seasons. We won a regional Emmy in season four with our my interview with four times Super Bowl champ Rocky Blair out of Pittsburgh uh, with the Steelers. And so it's been it's been a great journey now, you know, with everything that's shifted now we're we're doing more virtual stuff uh, just temporarily until we can launch back in studio again. But we're shifting, you know, doing other interesting things like, you know, pro cheerleaders. And I interviewed a guy who was an 18 year Harlem Globetrotter with Harlem Globetrotters for 18 years. And so okay. it's been very interesting. And it's okay. neat to, to sit down with all these different guests. And I've done over 50 TV interviews and I'm, I'm very fortunate, very blessed.
0: Wow. Well, no, it's it's so impressive. And I can't even believe I made the roster of all your illustrious guests that you have had on the show. But um, I wanted to go back to something you mentioned, just because it sounds so familiar in terms of the transition that pro athletes face and losing their identity a little bit and just kind of it taking five years or just a good amount of time to kind of recenter after you transition from playing professionally, because I think a lot of pro dancers also experience that. How did you deal with the transition when you stopped playing, especially due to injury? Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, I think I was angry. I think I was just angry at first. I mean, honestly, that was just, I was like, how can this happen? And, you know, I had a victim mentality. And then I just got tired of that after a while and just realized, boy, you know what? I just, I need to move forward. I think it was more just my attitude. And I'll give you a great example. One of the gentlemen that I've interviewed, he was a professional hockey player. And he literally, at 19 years old, was the number two draft pick by the LA Kings, right? He played for the LA Kings. He wasn't mm-hmm. the, the first pick in the NHL. He was the second pick, right? So the second guy in, in, in overall. And he went from 19 years old from Ottawa, Canada to LA. As he said, 19 years old, money in my pocket, driving a Porsche, a condo on the beach. He was living a life. Well, at 27 years old, he went headfirst into the boards, became a quadriplegic during a game. He literally went from being a professional athlete to nothing from his neck on down. And the reason why I bring up that story and and why he's such a great guest on the show, we've had him on twice, is that, you know, he went from being a professional athlete to instantly it was over. Right. He went from being a physical specimen to he had nothing from his neck on down. Mm -hmm. And he talked about that, you know, how despondent he was and how the how it really, you know, affected him. And and finally he said his wife, his seminal moment was his wife got in his face and said, Listen, I can't imagine what you're going through, but I love you. You have two beautiful daughters that love you. You have a lot to live for. And he said that was the shift of his attitude. And that's the reason why I bring up that story is because it's all about attitude, right? We can't Mm -hmm. always control the things that happen in our life. The thing we can control is our attitude. And you know, the great thing about his story, Doug Smith is his name, is 14 years later, he's now walking, right? He, He has some braces, but through the therapy, he realized that his trauma in his neck was the shattering of his vertebrae but his spinal cord was still intact oh wow so he was able to now walk again yeah his paralysis came from the trauma of the shattered vertebrae but his spinal cord was still intact so he was able to uh, get that going again and he's walking he's got some braces he's a best selling author and speaker in canada now but you know he's all he's all about attitude and one of the best sound bites i've ever heard from any of my guests is he goes yeah, as a pro athlete, I was I was trying to be the best in the world, right? That was my goal, was to be the best in the world. But he said, after my accident, my whole attitude changed, and now I want to be the best for the world. And oh, so, God. you know, yeah. getting back to your question about how do you handle this transition, you know, I guess we're all done at some point. And as much as I was angry and, and really didn't like it and like the way it happened, you know, my attitude started shifting again and realized, boy, you know, I, I got other things I can provide and help others another way. And that's, uh, that's been that journey. And now I really enjoy talking to other athletes about this and, and how they can transition to a, I mean, face it, the window of pro sports is extremely small. Right. As a dancer, as an NFL player, as a basketball player, it's very small, that window. Most people, you know, if you last three years, you're lucky, right? That's the average, 3.2 years or whatever it is. And so, right. you know, if you have a 10, 15 year career, that's unbelievable. So let's say you're 35 years old. If you do have a good, long professional career, you still got a lot of life ahead of you. And what are you going to do, right? What are you going to do? You're not going to sit around and count your money and rock in a chair, right? You're going to, you got to find something else to do. But so, yeah, my journey was very much, I think I just had to learn how to relax. This part of me was, I felt like I was in competition with everybody around me all the time, 24 seven. And -hmm. that's the part when I got back into the real world, so to speak that I had the most difficulty was, was just realizing I'm not in competition with every single soul around me all the time. Uh, and I had to learn when to pick and choose that competition, right? There is competition in life, but you'll learn to pick and choose as opposed to 24-7 is the way I felt when I was done playing.
0: Playing ball. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I could see that shift where you're constantly on, not necessarily edge, but you're just always thinking about shining and being the best in everything that you do in every possible way and being pretty much perfect, I think. Yeah,
1: think about think about yeah. it as a dancer, Makiba, how competitive it is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's no guarantee, right? It is no guarantee.
0: Exactly. And you're always striving for perfection just to be able to kind of keep your spot, at least in our world, because of the constant critique and you're always pursuing this ideal of, of perfection. I think letting that go once you retire is something that some people, you know, struggle with because you feel like you're still under that same microscope when you're yeah. Not.
1: yeah, I think the balance, to be honest, is, is, finding, is finding the balance, right? There is a time to be competitive. There is a time to, I don't want to say perfectionist because I don't like that, but to, to pursue excellence, right? There's a time mm-hmm. for that, but it's not 24-7 like it is when you're in that world, right? I feel like it's 24-7 when you're in that world. But back in the real world, you, you pick and choose. You know, you want to be competitive. You want to p- pursue that excellence, but it's not 24-7 if that yeah. makes sense, right? Like, look with what where you're doing now, right? There's a time and a place for that excellence, but there's also a time to say, hey, you know, I, I can let off the gas a little bit. I don't have to, you know, push it all <laughs> the way down to the metal every time.
0: Exactly. I think you definitely learn to listen to your, not necessarily just your body, but just, you know, understanding when you need to give yourself a little bit of a break and, and grace so that you're able to take care of yourself. And like you said, maybe it's not the right word in terms of balance, but you're just understanding that you don't have to be, all things to everyone and spread so thin just in that pursuit of excellence.
1: Yeah. Can I ask you a question about that? Because I think as a dancer, that's unique because, you know, in dancing, it's so critique based, Mm -hmm. right? It's very much critique based. and, And so that's kind of a culture that's been built within that world. And so you know to me that would be the struggle with this transition it's like feeling like i'm constantly under eyeballs and critique and how do you handle that right especially back in the real world where some people could care less right they they're not watching you or caring about you know what you look like or what you're doing and right. how you're doing it and and yet you constantly have that in the back of your mind you know as a dancer that would be the struggle that i would have i mean how do you handle that
0: Yeah, no, that's something that I think definitely is a reality. You know, it's not so much that you have like your director's voice in your head giving you critique or anything like that, but it's just, I think you're just so ingrained in understanding the high standard of how you carry yourself, how you look and present yourself. And so I think for me personally, it was just understanding that that expectation and that bar, I set it at this point, you know, especially once I walked away from cheering, that it wasn't something that. I had no control over and it was really just kind of coming back to I'm okay the way that I am and accepting who I am and how I am because I think when you're striving for excellence, in some ways seeking out the approval of of leadership, I think you kind of feel like who you are, how you are in this current state is just not enough. It's not like someone saying you're not good enough, but I just think you're constantly figuring out how to fix yourself and better yourself. And for me, when I stopped dancing, it was really just coming back to appreciating who I am and how I am and not really looking at tweaking anything. You know, that's just something that takes a while looking in the mirror and it's not so much all physical, but I think for me, it was just really coming back to not second-guessing <laughs>
1: so many things. Yeah, myself. yeah. Was, think about that and too. And, and then listeners as well, that, you know, body image, all these things that go hand in hand with this. And and I know, mm-hmm. you know, we, we haven't gotten to your open letter, but there's so many great points that you'd bring up and uh that's one of them you know because really especially when you're out of it i mean face my body's nowhere near in a condition that it was when i i used to beat it every, you know three times a day so to speak where i'd be working out three times a day literally i mean it's just uh it's nowhere near that and, and yet if i was caught up with my body image and say oh my goodness i don't look exactly like i did when i was 22 or 25 and
0: nice. and so
1: those are the things that especially as a dancer because the critique is so high the level of critique is so high imagine that some of your listeners may have struggled with that. But it, I think you nailed it, though. It's all about understanding that, yeah, I, I still can be successful. It's not, you know, I'm my, I'm my own worst critic. I can critique myself now. I'm not going to be competing from the outside. And I set my standards. And I think it's important it's for anybody, athlete or not.
0: Yeah, for sure. One of the things that you mentioned that just actually that I've wanted to talk to you about probably since our conversation initially was just because people feel so lost about their purpose when you retire from dancing or from playing professionally. How would you describe the difference between like living your passion and your life's purpose? Because I think it's easy to kind of blend the two. And so if you think of like living out your passion and you're dancing and all you've ever done is dance, all you think about is dance, and then you stop
1: it's a great question and I, I can't tell you how often people struggle with that I really you know it's, it's amazing to me but I think to me it's very simple you know I like to keep I'm a simple guy I like to keep things simple mm-hmm. and it's just what works in my mind right and and it's very simple I, I think there's a difference between what I do and who I am and that's the mm-hmm. difference you know and I first learned that from a professional athlete he had a 21 year major league baseball career and he talked about that he because I asked him about it, I said man playing 21 years of major league baseball at the highest level and and I said, wasn't it difficult to walk away? He says, no, because that's just what I did. It's not who I am. And it was like an aha moment. It's like, oh yeah, you're right. You know, we have who we are and then we have what we do. And, and I think part of it, the problem is when athletes mesh those two and they can't separate them, right? That who I am is what I do. That's the problem, in my opinion. Identifying, hey, this is what I do, but this is who I am, right? This is the core of who I am. And what I stand for and what I'm get excited about to me, that's the simple answer to that question is separating mm-hmm. what I do and who I am. And do they cross? Absolutely. They cross. But if that's who I am is what I do, that's where the problem comes in, especially in the transition because that, that's going to be a reality when that what I do is removed.
0: Exactly. And that, that is such a wonderfully simplistic way of putting it because yes, it blends and it gets blurry maybe, but, I think with pro cheerleaders that I've talked to or just understanding like what, you know, my friends have struggled with when they retired. I think it's just, you lose that sense of self. And it is because I think it takes over your world so much of what's required of us as pro cheerleaders. You do feel like you yeah, take on this- Yeah, idea. I mean, you've been doing it since you've been
1: five, six years old, right? Yeah, you've been doing it since five, six years old, maybe 10 if you're a late bloomer, right? And and I think that's the biggest challenge is figuring out who am I? You know, what am I? What do I stand for? What am I passionate about? because this is all I've known as pro baseball. I'm 35 years old, and all of a sudden I'm done, and it's like, wow, who am I, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the question. I mean, that's part of the journey is, you know, the people that figure that out are the ones that have an easier transition. Got it.
0: You're also a transitional consultant, but you also do keynote speaking for corporations and different organizations around, you know, change management and kind of deal with sudden change successfully just based on all of your research and interviews with highly successful people that have rebounded through transitions. What are those keys to successfully moving through change?
1: Yeah, now I'm getting really excited, McKee, because this is my lane, right? This is my lane. This is what really wakes me up every day. This is what causes me to leave my family to go help others. So first of all, one is that, you know, I've always liked speaking. I started speaking when I was speaking at camps. And, you know, I'll never forget the first time I got paid a hundred bucks to go speak like five minutes to a bunch of basketball kids when I was still playing professionally. And I thought, man, I just made a hundred bucks speaking for five minutes and I thought I died and went to heaven. Right. But I just, it was more (laughs) than just the money. It was speaking and enjoying and, and being able to share some stories and, you know, have an impact. And that's when it started. And then as I got further along in my journey, as I wrote my book and started interviewing athletes and working with former professional athletes, what I discovered, Macieva, was that there was a commonality of success. Remember my book, the TV show is based on athletes that had found success, right? And this mm-hmm. is part of my counseling background and part of my interviewing and you know learning from these these athletes' stories. I started watching and looking and realizing, man, there's a commonality of success of the athletes that found success during this transition. And what I discovered, and it can apply to dancers or anybody, is that there was five things that these athletes did to create their success again more rapidly, right? And so I thought, wow, this is great. And as a result, I created an acronym, right? Remember I said I'm a simple mind? Remember I said that? And so being the simple mind that I am, I said, you know, let me create this acronym so I can remember these five things. And that's where I created the acronym RULES. R-U-L-E-S, and each letter stands for something, each letter means something, and and that's part of that five commonalities of success. So I started working with former athletes, Olympic athletes, professional athletes, and using these five rules, and then, you know, every once in a while I get asked to speak for a company, and as I started speaking to companies about transition and change, I discovered there was a, a lot of crossover, a lot of commonality with companies that are going through change and transition. And then I got into the military I had more and more military. They started contacting me saying, Oh man, you know, our service people are going through a lot of change and transition. And can you speak on this topic? And, and it's really blossomed into, this is my whole lane now uh, talking about facing change, leading change, communicating change. This is my passion. It's not just producing TV shows and hosting TV shows. It's, it's speaking, you know, and helping change lives in a positive way, whether it be a, a company, an organization, an association. And so I've, I've taken this on the road, so to speak, and, and helped others face change as a result, not just athletes and customize it to law firms or to banks or to, you know, whatever financial institutions. And I'd be happy to get into the five commonalities if you think that might be of interest for your listeners.
0: Hex, yeah. I was going to say, or, or let us know where we can look <laughs> it up or pay, buy a book or whatever. Yeah, but yeah, no.
1: That would be awesome. Well, <laughs> let me say this, you know, this is the crib note version because on anywhere from 30 minutes to a half day, four hour workshop on this topic. And so, uh, you know, what I'm going to give you right now is just a crib note, kind of an overview of those five things. But, you know, I've gone very, very deep into them and we do a lot more, but basically the five things, the rules, R-U-L-E-S um, as I mentioned, each letter stands for something. And so the first letter is R, which stands for refocus. What I've discovered, Makiva, is that every athlete every organization every individual that goes through a transition has a refocus and the best way to refocus is to look at current goals and establish new goals think about it as an athlete how easy was it to make goals and go after those goals as an athlete right all day long
0: yeah but all
1: of a sudden you get out in the real world it's very difficult to recreate goals and you know what is my goal and what do i want to accomplish and how do i want to do this and so let let me back up a little bit though, because you know one of the important things to understand about change is that why change, right? Why do people change? Why should we change? Well, sometimes we have to change because it's necessity, mm-hmm. right? You know, as a pro athlete, you have to change because out of necessity, it's like oh, I'm I took a ninety-five percent pay cut, I'm no longer on a field, I'm no longer on on a court, right? right. And sometimes out of necessity that change happens. Other times. In life, maybe it's not a pro athlete. Maybe it's somebody in a family situation that's changed, or a professional life that's changed. Something's changed professionally, mm-hmm. and so you know we have to start by changing our mind first, right? It, it, it's all started If we can't change our mind, we can't have success. And it starts with changing our mind. And part of changing our mind is understanding this refocus, Good. right? I need to set up some new goals. I need to look at what do I what do I want to do in life, and that's part of the challenge is looking at that. I'll give you a great example. I don't drink at all, but, you know, and I'm not condoning people who do or don't. I'm not, you know, either way, but mm-hmm. in 1921, there was a big event that happened in America, uh, and actually 1920, that impacted all of America. I don't know. Are you a history buff at all? Probably not I that much. Not, right?
0: but if you started with alcohol, there has to be prohibition era, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. You nailed it. Yep. So 1920, prohibition hit and what that meant to the 1,273 breweries in America is they they could no longer brew their wares or sell their wares in in America. Talk about a sudden change, right? Talk about a sudden change. All of it's kind of like being a pro athlete. All of a sudden it's over. It's like, what? What do you mean I can't brew beer anymore or sell beer? So there was 1,273 breweries in America at that time during prohibition. Now by the time prohibition was over 13 years later, There was still 244 that remained open. So my thought was, well, we know what happened to the 80% that closed and why, Mm -hmm. but how did those 20% stay open? So I started doing further research. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So one of the companies, you know, was founded by a couple German immigrants, and he decided they weren't going to take this prohibition thing lying down. So they started refocusing. They literally had to refocus. They went from brewing beer, to brewing malt extract, ginger ale, even creating car and auto parts. Right? They really Had a refocus during this time. And as a result, Anheuser-Busch was able to survive that change that occurred until when Prohibition was over again. They went back to brewing beer. And as you know, they're the biggest beer company in in the world globally. I don't know what it was, $15 billion or whatever their annual sales are. And so it was because of refocus that they had during that time, right? That they had that refocus during their change to do something different and they set new goals. And that's just one example, right? This is one of many examples I could give a refocus. But refocusing is the very first step of saying, what are my current goals? And, you know, what are my new goals? And by doing so, you establish a new passion and purpose, right? That's so important. We're, we're wired as athletes to have passion in our life. And by setting new goals and, and saying, Boy, we get excited again, right? Which is very important to us. It's, it's kind of like you doing this podcast, right? That was one of your goals was to do this and is yeah. something you get excited about as a result. So that was part of your refocus, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, it makes total sense. Oftentimes we're just in autopilot, so even if it's like we maybe didn't have the success we wanted in auditions, and we kind of just jump right back in to recycle the same goal over and over again. Whereas maybe just looking at yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely, you no know,
0: refocusing or or maybe just establishing new goals. I love that because I think we kind of yeah. just. Re- Recycle the old goal over and over again without really questioning or or pushing ourselves. Yeah, and 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 you nailed
1: it without questioning. Because here's part of the problem, Akiva, is we have more information available than ever before in history. Mm -hmm. Ever, right? More information is available at my fingertips. If I don't know something in 30 seconds, something's wrong, right? I mean, I could find something, information, whatever. We have more information available than ever before, but less thinking. Uh. And refocusing takes thinking. It takes time for me to sit down and, you know, what is it I want to do? And what are my goals? And what do I want to accomplish? And what am I good at? And what is my gift? And do I have an agree? And it takes thinking. And that's part of the problem. We have more information available than ever before, but less thinking. And it takes thinking so- to refocus.
0: That is so, so true. And taking the time to refocus, having that quiet space to think about things, slow down so that you can give yourself the time and space to, to really give it a good consideration.
1: I mean, one of the benefits of this pandemic uh, it's, it's caused a lot of refocusing, right? A lot of people to kind of reset and rethink and have the time to kind of say, what am I doing? And why am I doing this? Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of innovation that comes out of this, but that's the R that's the R and we can go much deeper and and much more into it in detail. But the next letter is U R U L E S the U stands for using network. What I've discovered is high caliber athletes, uh, individuals that go through a transition and change all have a network, right? We have a network of people. I mean, if you look at a Rolodex of a, a pro athlete, it's like, wow, they got a vast number of network you know, people that they've met throughout their time. And tapping into that network, now, I have to proceed by saying this. I'm not talking about using and abusing people, right? I'm not, I'm not advocating that. I'm talking about finding somebody that says, you know, within your network, that, hey, you know, you have your refocus and your goal. It's like, oh, this is my goal. Boy, I know somebody in my network that might be able to help me out with Mm-hmm. Right, and creating a win-win relationship as a result—not using that person to get what you want to want to accomplish, but figuring out the win-win—that's important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give you a great example to go back to anheuser bush again. During that time where prohibition was going on, they had a refocus, but they had a you know a vast amount of distribution already in place. They already had a network in place. So when it came to distributing malt extract, ginger ale, they just said, "Hey, you know, we already have this." Relationship with this uh, distribution. Why don't we distribute our ginger ale now or, or our malt extract? And so they were able to tap into their network once they had to refocus to continue their success. That was a, a very big key. I'll give you another great example. I got a good friend. He played in the National Hockey League for quite a few years, and he always loved finances. Right? He loved finances, and uh, he got a Series Seven. He had to become a financial advisor, and when he got out of pro sports, he tapped into his network and said, "Hey, guess what?" Uh, I'm no longer a pro hockey player. I'm now a financial advisor. And as a result of tapping into his vast network right away, he was able to accelerate his business a lot quicker. So there's a couple of good examples of using your network to help get through that change, if that makes sense.
0: No, that makes total
1: sense. So, which takes us to the next letter. I was about to say, we're and, on letter L. Should, you know...
0: <laughs> yeah, ahead. all right,
1: good. I was just going to check your spelling and the listener's spelling and make sure everybody's <laughs> still with us here. So, exactly. uh, bar none. <laughs> not a question, no doubt, not even argument, the most difficult for pro athletes, letting go, letting go. Ooh. And, you know, letting go is such an important part of successfully transitioning and changing because, you know, think about as a pro athlete, uh, it, it's in the marrow of our bones never to give up, right? You fall down seven, you get up eight, you keep going and just, oh yeah. you know, and, and so it's very difficult. For us to let go and for us to continue to realize, oh man, I got I to stop. I mean, I can't tell you how many pro athletes I've talked to that probably hung around three, four years longer than they should have, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. going to minor leagues and trying you know, they, they won a Super Bowl but they're or they won a World Series, but yet they're, they're playing in a minor league just trying to get back up there again, you know? And so letting go is so difficult and, and you know, for lots of reasons. And it's not just the bad thing. It's the good things we have to let go sometimes. You know, we have to let go of the fact that, oh, boy, you know, I was a Super Bowl champion, and so what, right? You know, yeah. now you're in transition. You're no longer athlete. That doesn't matter anymore. We've got to let it go. And sometimes we have to let go of, of maybe it's a thought. Maybe it's a, a pattern of thinking we have to let go of in order to move forward. Everybody's individual, whatever that letting go is. You know, a couple of great examples is I got a phone call years ago from a guy out of Houston, Texas, and he called me up out of the blue and he says hey you know a mutual friend of ours gave me your number and told me you're the guy to talk about transition and I said okay tell me more he says well I just want to medal with the Olympics and I'm considering whether I want to continue being an Olympic athlete or not and I said okay tell me more you got my attention Mm -hmm. and um, he was a gymnast and he said you know I, I got this medal I'm not sure I want to continue and so literally he and I started walking through this path, these rules, right, working through the rules, we got to letting go. And he's like, I don't know. I said, I, he said, I don't know if I want to let go or not. I don't know if I want to commit another four years of my life to be an Olympic athlete. I don't know if I want to let it go. And six months, literally, if he and I going back and forth and conversation and trying to work through this, he finally decided, yep, I'm gonna let it go. I'm gonna move forward. In contrast, I had a phone call from a former major league baseball player who got released during spring training. And he and I sat down and we started working through this rules. And within a week, he had let it go. He was long gone. I mean, he was like, yep, I'm no longer pro athlete. He moved on. He's having great success. And so everybody's different what they're letting go and their patterns, right? I've seen some athletes that 15 years later, they still haven't let go <laughs> of you know, the dream. Um, here's the good part about this, Makiba, is that it's easier to let go of a vine when I have a hold of another vine right? You know, get that imagery right now. If, I, if I'm if i going to let go of this vine over here in my right hand, it's easier if I have a vine in my left hand, or at least I can see that vine and know when I let go of this vine, I got a good chance of grabbing that next vine, right? But that's why that refocus is so important, because if you have that refocus, you have that goal, you can see that vine, whether it's in your hand or not, you mm-hmm. at least can say, boy, I can let go of this because I can see that vine, it's within my grasp, and, you know, I can reach it, and that's why that refocus is so important to letting go because it, it makes it easier for us to let go of the other vine to grab the next one.
0: You get more confidence that you can reach it. You feel like you aren't losing something by letting go um, when you're gaining, you know, your next move in life. I think that's a great analogy. Oh,
1: thank you. Yeah. Which leads us to the next letter, which is E. E stands for execute. And what that means is that, you know, transition and change is not a one and done. It's not, boy, I walk through this process and and it, you know, I have my success, right? Rare, very rarely is it a one and done. Uh, I'll give you a great example of that. You know, most of us have seen the water pump that you have to crank the handle, the pump, you know, whether we see it on a TV or maybe in person, you might've done it years ago, where you see a, a water pump that you have to crank the handle to pump the water out. You know what I'm talking about? You got a visual for that?
0: that? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I'm thinking a little house. So, so in order
1: to get that water to pump, what do we have to do sometimes to get that pump to walk to get the water out of it what do we have to do
0: just keep churning and churning and churning and churning for it to finally flow yeah yeah
1: Yeah. and sometimes you have to prime it right sometimes you have to pour water into it to prime it the pump which is part of the refocus right and part of using that network Mm -hmm. and part of letting go but sometimes we just have to pump and pump and pump and pump and eventually the water is going to come sometimes it might take one or two pumps and the water comes Sometimes it might take 20 pumps, depending on the circumstances, right? right? And the reason why I bring that up is in transition, it's rarely a one and done, right? We have to continue to execute the, uh, through our transition because it's not just a one trans. We go through a lot of transitions, right, in life. And so executing is very important. I- I'll give you another great story. Your audience might realize that I love history, right? I love sports. I love history. It's a great combination. Mm-hmm. But back in the Roman Empire, when the roman generals would come home from their conquering lands right so this is in history when the roman generals would come home back to rome after conquering a foreign land whatever it was creep or wherever i don't know the history that well but they come home from these conquering lands and they've had these big parades in downtown rome as part of the celebration right was, I, I would equate it to the super bowl parades we have today right okay. when a team comes back in town and they have these super bowl parades that's what it was like for these generals now Having been through two of them, did you go to any of those parades by chance? Were you a part of those at all? I
0: did, yeah, the, the one we had here in Seattle.
1: So you get it, right? You, yeah. I mean, think, that, think about that feel, think about the electricity, think about the excitement, think about, oh my goodness, this is, you know, I, I can't even, I don't know, you describe it, you've been through it, I haven't. What was it like?
0: <laughs> no, it was absolutely amazing. I mean, you're relishing in just the victory and, and, and how incredible it makes everybody feel to have won. I mean, you're on top of the world at that moment that's how i felt anyway
1: yeah and and, and the locals are celebrating it right the mm-hmm. people of the town are celebrating it as a result lining the streets so that was that's what it was like for these roman generals right they'd come back from a conquering land they'd be on their chariots their family would all be dressed in white right this is all part of the celebration but it's written in history and you can read this as the generals are going through the street and getting all these accolades they have somebody on his chariot chirping in his ear the whole time all glory is fleeting. All glory is fleeting. In other words, great. You accomplish that. Now what?
0: And so oh, imagine yeah. that
1: during a Super Bowl parade, if somebody, if somebody's chirping in the coaches here or the players here, hey, great! All glory is fleeting, right? Now what? You know, basically okay. that's what it was like. And so that's part of the execution that it's not a one and done. Your your transition continues, and it's not just you do it once and you accomplish it. No, many times it takes many times over and over. I'll give you another great example. I had the honor of sitting down with a gentleman out of Washington, D.C. He was an All-American high school basketball player, went on to Syracuse to become an All-American college player, went on to become a number one draft pick of the Detroit Pistons, went on to become an NBA Hall of Famer, considered one of the best NBA players in history, went on to build a $500 million a year business, and then he became mayor of Detroit. And Dave Bing continued to execute his success over and over and over again through every transition that he had in his life. He could have easily rested on his laurels, Mm -hmm. but he continued to execute through every change and every transition that he had in his life.
0: Wow. That's an interesting point, I think, because I don't know if it's just from getting to know, you know, my listeners and just thinking of the age that they're at. But I think it's so easy to just to lose sight of like all the rest of life that there is that you're going to be living, you know, when you're in your twenties or maybe even your thirties, you're really not thinking of like life in your forties or fifties, or just kind of like, you know, the continuing cycle that you would have around transformation and going through different phases and just the same things that they're striving towards or having goals. You know, that to get on these teams and to be a pro cheerleader, you're going to have something else, you know, at different phases of your life that you're striving towards. And this is just a cycle of, like you said, execution and all of the other rules that will help you take on each challenge in the same manner so that you are successful in doing so. I just think it's easy to not really remember at different points in your life that life moves on mm-hmm. and end up in another period of transition. Sometimes it just takes over and seems all consuming, I think.
1: No, it's a good point. So that's why executing is so important. It's such an important stage that people that have found success, pro athletes, organizations have that execution. They continue to execute through those changes. Um, Like I said, it's just not one and done. And so that's the exciting part. The S, I told you this is the crib note version, but I'm going along with it. Uh, The S stands for someone. What I've discovered is that pro athletes, organizations found one person in particular, a mentor, so to speak, to help them through. Somebody who's been there somebody is where they want to be, somebody who understands, right? A great example of that is a good friend of mine. He played in the NBA for quite a few years and he literally just loved TV. There's something about, it. he was enamored by TV. And so he had a local guy at one of the local TV stations that he said, Hey, every time I'm in town, can I just come hang out with you in the TV studio? Just kind of watch you and learn from you and learn some of the little bit about the industry. And he, so he did that for like eight years, while right? He was still playing basketball. And as a result, he learned about TV broadcasting, and, and now Greg Kouser, who, who played on the uh, Michigan State team with Magic Johnson, is in his 28th year of TV broadcasting, and you know because he had a mentor, so to speak, that he literally learned from to learn how to be a broadcaster in TV. On the corporate side, I had a chance to sit down with a Ford executive from Ford Motor Company and he was talking about, you know, how they helped survive their transition in 2008, because that's one of the key questions I asked him. I said, how do you guys survive that downturn in 2007 and 2008 at Ford? And he gave me a whole list of things that they did. And he said, one of the things we did is we tapped into the knowledge of somebody that's been through this before. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, <clears throat> there was a gentleman that used to be with Ford, then he left Ford and, and became uh, the head of Chrysler and ran Car- Chrysler during the 80s when they were struggling with all their problems and help them through that. So we tapped into his knowledge and as a result, Ford Motor Company had uh, Lee Iacocca as a mentor to help them through the downturn and help them to, to come out to where they are now. And so, you know, whether it be a, a high level global corporation or individual, uh, having a key mentor is very important to help with this transition. And, and, you know, maybe there's somebody in your life that you had that you didn't even realize that was kind of a mentor through this or, or maybe there's people that uh, the listeners have that they're thinking, boy, you know, I need to find somebody to really help me through my transition to help with this. But it's, it's very important to have that, you know, typically it's somebody from your network that you really hone in as a mentor to say, this is where I want to be. Can you help me get there? And it, it'll make that transition that much quicker.
0: No, absolutely. Mentorship is really, really important, especially in our space. It's something that we could all benefit from. I mean, I, luckily, social media is bringing everybody closer together, be able to learn from one another, whether it's choreographers or directors, and just trying to make those connections so that you have just a little bit of guidance to finding your way. If you're wanting to stay within the industry, having a mentor would be really key. This is awesome. So those yeah, think are cool, about this.
1: Huh? Yeah, that's my rules. R-U-L-E-S. Well, think about this too with the the mentor part of the the, someone. uh, You know, I learned this years ago and it just makes total sense that there's basically three ways that we learn, right? One is through reflection, right? We reflect, uh, you know, some people uh, transcend whether it be prayer or whatever it is through reflection. We learn through reflection, which is noble. Mm -hmm. The second way we can learn is through our own experiences, right? Sometimes they call it the school of hard knocks, which sometimes can be the most challenging way to learn but the third way to learn is from others which is the easiest way to learn so something i've learned in my journey is that boy i want to i want to learn from others as much as i can because that's the easiest path doesn't mean that i always you know sometimes i have to learn from myself but boy as much as i can learn from others that's the easiest path of learning and that's why yeah. having a mentor is so important
0: exactly that was definitely my philosophy growing up was just if i can avoid some mistakes and pitfalls and i'm all for it and just kind of being able to lean on other people's experiences not that you won't have some of your own but like you said having people who've been there and done that and can kind of speak to some of the challenges and how they navigated it i mean i think it's a wonderful way to learn
1: learning from other people's perils right it's like well don't do this oh okay you know, you can do that if you want, but this is the outcome that I had. Oh, okay. Maybe I'll try it. Maybe, I, maybe I'll have a different outcome. Right. Or boy, you're, you're right. I don't want to try that. Right. And that's, you know, that's why we all have choices to make and decisions. And sometimes what worked for somebody else won't work for me. You know, yeah. and so it's, just, it's why it's so important to identify the best mentor for what you want to accomplish. And that's why that refocus is important because it kind of circles back to that. Well, what's what's your goal? What's your refocus? And, and which mentor would be best for that? But that's it. And so you know, whether it be a professional dancer or a professional athlete or a corporation, those rules are a great way to face change like a champion, as I call it. And it's the foundation for facing change in a transition more rapidly as well, because that's important how quickly you get through change. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we can go much deeper into communication of change, leading change. Those are some of the things I speak on more, but this is just a 30,000 foot level view of change.
0: Well, I sure appreciate it just really great to be able to share that overview.
1: I hope your listeners can pick up a nugget from this, right? It's going to benefit them, you know, especially if they're going through a change of any type, whether it be a family change or relationships or professionally or, you know, everybody goes through a change. Can I ask you a question? You know, you know, your audience and your listeners, what are are some of the biggest changes that your audience and listeners go through?
0: I think for people who are vets, who have actually had the experience of making it on a pro team, when you're cut after maybe your rookie year, your second year, and when you fully had every intention of continuing on and like thriving in this goal and dream that you've achieved and have it kind of ripped from under you, I think that's a change that I know is it's a huge struggle. And then you have just people who are still chasing the dream, they're going through auditions and getting cut. Maybe they had a whole lot of their life decisions held up around all of the uncertainty with the coronavirus and how it was impacting auditions. So I just think just the loss, like, you, you know, we discussed earlier of like letting go of that opportunity that they've been working all, yeah. or actually well, that, even longer than that, you know, since March or maybe even the beginning of the year, trying to work towards that goal. And then even if you chose retirement, I still think in our world, it's, it's just a lot to let go of, even though you've kind of processed that you're making that decision once life stands still or you kind of see the season start. and.
1: Yeah, I think, I think the biggest really thing dangerous. that you're describing is when to let go and when not to let go, right? That's what it boils yeah. down to.
0: Exactly. When do
1: I let go of my of this dream? Do I keep coming back every year for two, three years, or do when do I let go? Right. That's the biggest question, and that's part of that is that refocus. Right. That's why it's so important to say, no, this is a goal. This is what I want to try. You know, I'm this is one of my goals, and I want to keep doing it so I can do it.
0: I mean, I had the goal of five years, so when I made that, I, I was happy and content, and so it was a lot easier to
1: yeah, that's huge uh,
0: to to be able to walk away. Let from. it go. But yeah, letting go is huge. And I think that's a personal journey. Like you said, everybody has their own timetable associated with it. But like you said, giving yourself time and going back to R to refocus and making sure you're still in alignment with that. What that
1: next vine is.
0: Yeah, what that next vine
1: is. Yeah, what that next vine is. That'll make it easier. It makes it easier to let go, right? Mm -hmm. If you have another vine that you see or even can grab hold of, it just makes it that much easier.
0: Exactly. Well, I can't thank you enough, Kurt. This was amazing. Super, super helpful, and I think it gives listeners a lot to think about, and there's just a lot we can all learn from one another on this.
1: Yeah, and I'd like to encourage anybody, if they want to reach out to my website, they're more than welcome to. It's uh, KurtDavid.com, awesome. uh, K-U-R-T-David, D-A-V-I-D.com, KurtDavid.com. Feel free to reach out if you have a question or, or something that you've heard from uh, this podcast or if there's something I can do to help.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for that. Well, I can't let you go really quick without... Closing out our episode with Drop It Like It's Hot or Locker Talk. Drop It Like It's Hot is kind of like a rapid fire questions. A lot of them are dance oriented, so I could kind of spare you that version. Or Locker Talk, where you share maybe a funny story from your time playing professionally, anything that was embarrassing or just funny that cracks you up to this day.
1: I love this kind of stuff. I think it's great. Well, yeah, probably I wouldn't, I don't know how many rapid fire answers I would have for the dance industry. I don't know, I don't know if I'd do too well with that, but as far as a funny story, this is this is actually long before I played professional, but I just shared this with somebody the other day, a a a sportscaster that I know out of New York, he and I were just talking about this. That I was in eighth grade and I was at a basketball camp that was run by one of the NBA players at that time. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget this. In eighth grade, I was six foot five, right? So I stood out even in eighth grade, right? Oh my gosh! And so five? it was one of the most painful times of my life. I grew. Oh yeah, I was five eleven in seventh grade, and six five by the end of my eighth grade year. Most painful time of my life because my bones were so growing so fast that my muscle and cartilage. I mean, the more active I was, the more painful my body was. But it was oh. great because I was dunking in eighth grade, right? So that was a bonus. But I was at a basketball camp in eighth grade. I'm six, five. I was at this pro athletes basketball camp. And of course at night, you know, the counselors are around. Some of the pro athletes are around. So being six, five, they said, Hey, why don't you come out and play with us? Right. So I get out there and I'm being guarded by one of the Detroit Pistons at that time. Mm -hmm. And I catch the ball in the post. And it's no quicker that I caught the ball in the post that I realized my shorts were down to my ankles. (laughs) This guy, this professional basketball player who was guarding me as I, as an eighth grader, I caught the ball. As soon as I caught it, my shorts were at my ankle. And of course, what do I do? Well, I drop the ball. You know, I pull my shorts up and he's down scoring at the other end. And so I don't, I don't know if you can get away with that today in today's society. But, it, you know, when I was in eighth grade, it, it was a big laugh and nobody cared. And it was like this kid standing here in his jock strap and you know, drops the ball and goes from there. But Anyway, that's so that that was probably we, I just shared that last week. That's why I bring it up. That was good <laughs> Well,
0: even pro athletes have uniform malfunctions. That's good because a lot of times with locker talk, that's what ends up coming up in our spaces. You know, things falling off. Oh, well, that's right, funny. While you're performing. yeah, it's really funny. Too funny. Well, I, I thank you so much again, Kurt, for being a part of this episode and just. Super grateful and excited and thank you for extending yourself to people to reach out to if they, you know, have any questions or want to learn more. You have such an awesome way of explaining things. I love the history component to it as well and just lots of jewels. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much.
1: No, it's my pleasure. I'm glad you're doing this. This is great. You're, You're doing important work and I hope that you continue.
0: Thank you. Learning from you. This is awesome. Thanks so much for listening to the Pro Cheerleading Podcast. You can follow your favorite podcast on social media at Pro Cheerleading Podcast on Instagram, at Pro Cheer Podcast on Twitter, or on Facebook, on YouTube, and you can support your favorite podcast on Patreon. Until next time, keep your eyes on the sidelines.